Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it is broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival. The 8th annual New York City premiere will be October 2023, along with the 5th annual New York Cat Film Festival before traveling the country, supporting local animal welfare groups. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at TracyHotchnerPets.com. I would not be able to bring you this show without the generous support of Dr. Elsie's the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their kitties. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. This show would not be possible without the longtime support from Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food. Other pet food companies may have copied them over time, but Waruva remains privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards, not investors who focus on profits. I have learned of a really different documentary about dogs in peril on the streets. This happens to be in America, not in one of those far-flung countries where movies are sent to me, in even third-world countries where dogs are wandering the streets, hit by cars, starving, abused. No, right here in Houston. Fancy, fancy, rich Houston has a terrible problem. And there are two sisters who are quite extraordinary in their own right, Tina and Tama Lundquist, who not only have been doing something about it personally, one dog at a time, but lobbying the local politicians and the animal control system to change, to improve, to do something. And there's a movie about it called For the Animals. And it's going to be streaming. It has a premiere in Los Angeles. It's also going to be streaming. And it's a very different view of the underside of abandoned dogs. Tina, you're a brave woman. You're brave because of all the work you've been doing on the streets for many years, but also for bearing your soul and your life in this film. How did the film come about? The The director and producer is a woman who seems to be of non-American name. And I'm wondering, did she find out about you beautiful twin sisters and come to you or did you find her? How did the movie get made? Well, we actually found each other, and we feel like there was some divine inspiration in this. Um, we, um, my sister and I, do other philanthropic work, and one of those areas um, is human trafficking, which oh. happens all too often in Houston. And so, 
um, Sid Hawley and Anabuti are both Jain monks. They're um, American. Well, um, Anabuti hails from Mexico, but she was raised in the U.S. And Sid Hawley grew up in California. And so they um, are both converted Jain monks. And um, they did a film um, originally on the human trafficking in Texas. And um, I was at an event where they were and was introduced to them. And as chance would have it, six months later, I was at another event for human trafficking, and they were there and were seated at our table, or we were seated at their table. And um, we were able to um, connect, and I said, would you guys ever, ever be interested in um, doing a documentary on the animal overpopulation and stray animal crisis in Houston? And um, they said, write down your intentions, write down why you want to do this. And so on a Sunday morning, I did, and I sent that to them, and they came back, and they said, yes, we would love to work with you. That is and a really cool story. I had a feeling something very crossing paths in a way that mattered had something to do with the genesis of this movie. So you explained that really well. I, 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 you had something more to say, I think. Oh, yes. No, that, that was it. Um, it was, I, I really feel like we were meant to do this together, um, and we've become, we call each other soul sisters. Yeah, and I get that impression. Did you just put yourself on speaker or something? I did for okay, a yes, Don't do I'm that, right because okay. we don't engineer this later. She's back, folks. By the way, <laughs> she is taking time out to do this so that we can get this on the air and out into podcast in time for the streaming. She and her sister are at this very moment in the middle of a, a press conference promoting the film, but also the ideas in the film about this crisis in Houston. Now, when we say crisis, those of us that live in other parts of the country, and I don't know if this is a Texas issue specifically, certainly in the South, the poor, poor parts of the South, call it Mississippi, Alabama, South Carolina, I have had films sent to the, the New York Dog Film Festival about those areas of extreme poverty, people and animals living, you know, just on the edge. But we don't think of Houston that way, fast-growing city full of commerce and industry and wealth and supposedly some amount of social services for people. And yet there are what is the number of, of dogs that is estimated, Tina, to be wandering the streets completely uncared for and neglected in Houston? Hundreds of thousands. Yeah, that's what I thought. Thousands. I didn't. I didn't want to say a number that I remember from the movie. I thought I, I must be overstating this. So you look at cities like New York, Boston. I don't know. Pick a city, Los Angeles. There's no such thing. It doesn't exist at all. So I visited San Antonio. The Petco Foundation, which is now called Petco Love, was the founding sponsor of the Dog Film Festival. So I brought it to San Antonio a few years ago, and I couldn't believe my eyes. There were stray dogs in this quite fancy city with Petco Foundation being based there that were just wandering and apparently even attacking people who had guide dogs, attacking children. And in your film, which is called For the Animals, this has also been happening in Houston, packs of dogs that pack up and go after people and their food. And how how does – you are obviously, from the movie, you and your sister are live a very luxe life. You're very beautiful. 
you have surrounded by luxury, your homes are gorgeous because they're seen in the movie. So you've traveled the world, I imagine, well, certainly before COVID. Why does Houston have this horrific problem in the middle of the United States, as far as you can tell? Because I think you have a world view, not just a local view. It's a really good question. And the answer um, is is multi-pronged. The reason that we have this problem is, number one, Houston has a year-round breeding season. We, um, you know, it doesn't get cold enough in the winter for animals to perish. Typically, Um, there are exceptions. Um, Also, we have a very large city with many rural pockets. So they're very, um, it's not a densely populated city. It's it's quite large geographically. I see. And so the animals are able to live in the woods, kind of undetected, breed, have puppies, multiple generations. And, um, and they're not often seen. I think also, um, we have cultures that believe in, in, um, community animals. They let their dogs roam. They come Mm -hmm. from places where that's common. Um, and so I think that people typically, um, in many communities believe it's okay to let their pets roam and, and just kind of free live. And it doesn't work in a city as large as Houston. It just doesn't work. And so um, additionally, um, um, this problem has gone unchecked for decades. It didn't just happen overnight. And the city and the county have ignored it for far too long. And we've been, tried to work with them. We've tried to get their attention. And it's become a quality of life issue. We say even if people don't care about animals, which I can't imagine, the city and the county have to care about the, the public health and that's public right. safety of their citizens. Mm-hmm. And that's the point that we very much want to make, that this is now a quality of life issue for Houstonians. Well, you're Jane monks. And for those of you that don't know what the Jane religion is, it's, it's quite extraordinary. It's to do no harm to any living creature. And if you encounter them in India, and maybe even your filmmakers, they used to wear masks so they didn't breathe in an insect. I mean, that Mm. level of do no harm. So you have you ladies who care about dogs in particular, all animals in general, and have since you were a child because you talk about your childhood very openly in the movie and and what even a local squirrel meant to you at the time. And it, it must be pretty shocking to discover an entire system that is turning its back in in a modern in the in the modern times. I mean, we know of many zoonotic diseases. I mean, rabies is of course fatal to the dogs and to to humans when bitten, and rabid dogs bite people and bite other animals and give them rabies. And it's really quite amazing that there's nobody that there's no system that it takes two women who go to fancy benefits, but also in your beautiful clothes, with your beautiful selves, you go into these very rough areas, the ones you're describing, that we see in the movie, and I'm thinking, oh my God, she's going to get her gorgeous white pants dirty. But you don't care. There's something about this movie that I find most intriguing as a social, cultural exploration, Tina, that you don't try to make pretend you're someone you're not. You don't put on some icky old barn clothes to go do the rescue work when you and your sister are driving around looking for uh, the, the most victimized dog to take in yourselves, personally, personally take them in. 
You just own who you are. I think that's really unusual. Does that occur to you at all that you could be judged or, or misinterpreted being out looking like you're very elegant, very glamorous, beautifully turned out selves? Did that ever occur to you? It, it has occurred to me, yes. And um, I, my answer to that is, is I just need to stay true to who I am. Yes. And, um, and I don't, we have been judged. Um, I've been, we've been called rich bitches by nice. other rescue groups. How lovely. Um, yeah. How lovely. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's, that's the, the net of it. And, and, but for the most part, people um, want to work together. We need to work together because collaboration is at the heart of the solution. Yes. And so we, we find that we really um, attract not attract, we, we find really great people to partner with, and that's important to us. And yes, uh, you know, we are out there in white denim and boots, and it just, it is who we are. We also love fashion, but yes. there's also a part to this where we are fundraisers, and we want to lend credibility to this cause. Animal issues are at the bottom of the philanthropic food chain, if you will. Um, they're they're the least funded causes in America. Um, higher than that are arts, medical, really, schools, all of the above. Oh, of you course. say that in the movie. I mean, it does that. That point is made in the movie. But sitting where I sit in this chair, all I'm aware of is people doing extraordinary things for animals and raising money for them and putting their own lives and and welfare on the line, mm -hmm. like you do, like you do, you and your sister. Mm -hmm. So. It's, it's funny to look at the statistics and think, oh, we're in a bubble here. We're in this dog and cat-loving bubble that is not that needs to be burst and needs to spread. It also seems yeah. that the, the fundraisers that you do, which are glamorous, as they are in New York, as they are in L.A., as they are in the Hamptons, very glamorous fundraisers that raise, well, the one you talk about in the movie, $1.1 million. You raise a lot of money, but I think the other thing that comes out of it is, other people who are, let's call them movers and shakers, whatever we mean by that, they come to those parties and they're comfortable with you being who you are. So it makes them more comfortable to look at the animals running around in total suffering that they have to close their eyes to as, okay, I guess it's okay. I could help with this too. I'll talk to the mayor. I'll talk to the police chief, whoever the people might be that have a bit of power or a bit of influence. I think that's what's important is you you reach the street feeders in the movie. And again, the movie is for the animals. And I'm talking to Tina Lundquist. One of my listeners said, would you please re repeat during the, the interview who you're talking to in case I forget? And her sister, Tama. And you, you, sh you have these street feeders, these women who are rough. They're living, they're, they're living themselves very marginally hand-to-mouth, if you will, to not sound too dramatic. And they're spending every single day feeding, feeding street dogs, looking after them, and interacting with you like you're, like you're all equal. And that's, that's really props to you and your sister. You do view all humans as equal and all animals as equal to humans in terms of welfare. That comes across in the movie, Tina. I'm so glad. That is so important to us. And back to, you know, the, the kind of the dis the difference in the two worlds our goal is to bridge these worlds because yes. we feel like a lot of the resources are going to come from that 
mover and shaker, yes. the term that you use, world, mm-hmm. the, the resources are going to come from leadership. The resources are going to come from large corporations. And we have to, we want to lend respect and credibility yes. to the cause of animal welfare. And that's our goal. Every interview we do, we do it in a jacket. We do it with shoulder pads. Um, <laughs> and really nice jewelry sure. and really nice purses. And yeah. and I want to reiterate, I respect you for being who you are and not trying to dumb it down, if you will, or dial it down. Mm-hmm. You're really glamorous. You live a beautiful life. We see a bit of your houses and we see we see people that have all this stuff because you clearly just it's normal for you. But that's not where your focus is. That's not where your attention goes. It's not where your passion is. It's fantastic. It's important that the people that look like you, that are in a position to change society, feel comfortable doing that, right? And not just seem like a dog-saving nut, which is an easy way to write off a lot of rescuers, right? It is. It is. They're called crazy animal people. Yes, And it's not fair. Um, as you said, a lot of the rescuers, the street feeders, do live hand-to-mouth. They don't have beautiful cars. They rent homes, and every single dime, every single thing that they have goes to the animals. And I think in my world, there's a certain amount of, um, you know, there is a certain amount of guilt that comes with that on my part. You know, do I really need another pair of slacks, or should I buy a dog a dog house? You know, there's <laughs> you have to think about things yes, like that, yeah. and... And I think um, we're, we're, to your point, um, the street feeders, the rescuers, they're the heart and soul of animal welfare in Houston. And it's really hard to imagine what our city streets would look like without them. They do the lion's share of the work and never get an ounce of credit. Never. And so at the end of this movie, we say this is for you. This is for yes. those people yes. who lay their lives and their hearts on the line every day. And and, and deal with uh, verbal abuse and maybe other kinds of abuse because people see all these people and dogs somehow together as throwaways, as detritus, as something to be mm-hmm. swept under a rug somewhere. I, I just want to say most specifically in wrapping up that you and your sister, Tama, are St. Francis's, the two of you, and yet you didn't have to give away all your worldly goods and put on sackcloth to prove it. You could be St. Francis's being who you are, and it's okay for you to have as many nice shoes as you want because you can do that and change the world for these animals. So I just want to say, Tina, again, thank you for being who you are and your sister And this movie for the animals is so worth seeing. It's different than anything I've ever seen. Thank you so much for being here. Please keep up the good work. And I hope you'll come back with some good news on the ground sometime soon about a change in Houston. Thank you again. We would love that. We would love that. Thank you so much. Change is coming. Thanks for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. This show is supported by Wonderside, a company founded and run by a woman entrepreneur who wanted to find an effective natural way to keep fleas, ticks, and other pests away from her pets and home instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes plant-powered products to keep parasites at bay without dousing your pets and property with ingredients that are harmful to them and the planet. 
The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and have been doing that for 14 years and answer only to their own high standards without interference from venture capital investors. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, also privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative Dog Chew No Hide and the hybrid dog food Wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky blue Weimarano Maisie will eat.